Hello, and welcome to the Cogscast. This is Adam West with... Vesta Sahachu. All right. Vesta, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah. I am a fourth-year Cog student graduating this term, hopefully. I am in the uh, psych stream, so brain and cognition. How do you feel about graduating this year? Has it been quite the ride? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty overwhelming to think about, so I kind of try to not <laughs> <laughs> because I have no idea what the rest of my life is going to look like, but it's it's exciting at the same time, so... I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's part of the fun, the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. If you knew how you were going to die, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, uncertainty is definitely part of the fun. And I think that's uh, it's it's part of why people choose COGS, right? Because of the uncertainty. Yeah, part of Yeah, definitely. Do you have any plans for after graduation? Not super concrete ones, but I do have some personal projects that I'm working on. Yeah, let's reflect on your journey through the major and how you came to be graduating. Reflection time. I So do you want me to talk about how I got into COGS and everything? Yeah. Uh, did you initially know <coughs> that you wanted to go into COGS? No. I, I had no idea that COGS existed until... Well, I was always pretty interested in psych and linguistics and um, computer science, even though I hadn't taken many courses on them or knew a lot. Um, but me and my mom were literally just scrolling through all the majors available at UBC, and then we saw something called cognitive systems, and when we looked at it, it just looked so cool, and it looked like the perfect match for someone like me, so then I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. Yeah, the same thing kind of happened to me, just yeah. serendipitously scrolling through and being like, whoa, cognitive systems, that's, that sounds dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, having that sort of reaction to it definitely means that you you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Did you have a favorite experience uh, through the COGS program that you that just really stands out to you? Mm. Um, that could be a class or a part of an action you took in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. There, there's multiple things that have definitely made an impact on me as a person because of my uh, choice to be in COGS. I think one super important one is um, the fact that I was part of the CSS, the Cognitive System Society, for more than three years. I joined in my first year, uh, became an exec in my second, and in my fourth I ended up being president, and now I am ending that part of my journey. But um, I think I'll always like remember it as like one of the most memorable experiences at UBC because of the, um, well, what I'd like to think is the impact that um, we made on the community and just on people who would otherwise not have that. Can you break down what the CSS actually is, uh, for those who don't know? For sure. Um, So it's an AMS club at UBC, um, and it's for people who are either in the COGS program or interested in any of the topics that COGS um, is. Um, and we host a bunch of events throughout the year. We have resources for students who are in the program. Um, we provide a connection between the profs and the students and alumni and students. So I think it's a, it's a pretty integral part of being a Cox student that you have some sort of interaction with the CSS throughout your degree. Um, and if not, 
then we probably did something wrong or um, <laughs> you haven't been looking hard enough. I don't know. Um, the CSS provides amazing events like the Cognitive Systems Undergraduate Research Conference mm -hmm. where uh, people involved in research or uh, projects of any kind just come together and talk about what they've been doing and kind of just incite inspiration in others. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so it, we, I think we have a pretty good balance of academic and social events. Um, like we have the uh, pretty now famous Welcome Back Barbecue and End of Year Barbecues, where uh, you just get a bunch of students, undergrads, profs, and alumni there, and they just have a good time with, you know, some burgers and veggie ones included, um, beer, cider, and just a fun time in the COGS lab, which usually doesn't see that kind of um, fun action, I guess. Mm. Yeah, a lot of the CSS events are 19 plus, so yeah. sorry to all the first years. <laughs> Not all of them, though. Like, we definitely do have um, movie nights and board game nights, and the conference that you mentioned, those are all for people who are, you know, all ages, so... Um, that's actually funny. That that leads me into a, a story of how I first got involved with the CSS, where um, I was walking through, in my first year, I was walking through the Club's Days booths, and I came across the CSS one, and I was like, oh, whoa, I didn't know you guys existed. And the guy there was like, yep, we, we do. And <laughs> then... I asked, like, oh, like, what kind of events do you have? And he wasn't super good at explaining them. And he asked me how old I was, and I was 18. And he was like, oh, uh, yeah, most of our events are actually 19 plus, so you probably don't want to. Just join. brushing off the future president. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and I was like, whoa, okay, well, this doesn't seem like a very welcoming place. So I didn't join in my first year. But um, then, well, in my second term of first year, I just went to a movie night. And then there, the people there were so friendly and just really fun to be around and super welcoming. And they immediately were just like, hey, you should run to be on the exec. And I was like, this is the first event I've been to. I have never been involved with you guys. I'm in my, I'm in my first year. I'm still not 19. <laughs> Who are you people? <laughs> yeah. Um, and they were just like, no, you you should definitely run. And so... They peer pressured me into running. I became the webmaster. Didn't know anything about web design or development at the time, but I learned. And yeah, then in my third year, I became the AOS rep. So that's VP external for arts now. And in my fourth year, president. So it's been a long journey. Yeah, that sounds exciting. Mm. It sounds like you definitely impacted the community as well. I hope so. <laughs> Were there um, certain challenges that you faced that you either thought you just couldn't overcome or you did in this fantastic way? Hmm. Um, I think that there's nothing that can really prepare you for what it's like to be the president of a club or just the sole leader of any um, enterprise, I guess. So there is definitely a sense of control and power that you have to use wisely and um, but at the same time you want everyone to retain as much um, individual power as they can so I think just learning to trust people to let people do what uh, they want to do and to try and not micromanage everything was a hard thing for me because I'm 
that type of person <laughs> to want to micromanage everything. Uh, but I think that as you build trust with your team, like with time, that sort of comes naturally. So I think, yeah, just learning that that I won't always know what's best or that I won't always be the one to be able to make the best decisions is just something super valuable that I learned. And I'm really glad that I had the chance to work with such super amazing people for um, all the three years that I was on the exec. Yeah, I think that's really solid advice for just group projects and professional life in general. Mm-hmm. So thanks to you too, Adam, for being on my exec. Adam was the VP Arts External this year. Yes, I went on a retreat that cost $15,000 of AUS tuition money, so thank you to all the art students. Mm-hmm. I did that last year. It was fun. Run for the AUS rep for your respective <laughs> clubs, everybody. You get free food every two weeks. <laughs> free pizza. Yeah. yeah. We got sushi last year, too. Oh, I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. What really uh, cemented your interest in COGS? You know, you found the COGS major, and you're like, oh, this is dope. Uh, what kind of kept you there? Yeah, I guess this is what we touched on, but definitely the community. Like, if I hadn't met the people that I had, I, um, like, in my first year, I was very intimidated by CompSci 110, which is um, supposed to be the basics of programming um, with Dr. Racket. (laughs) I don't know how you found that class. It's definitely a weed-out course. Yeah. So that one really scared the shit out of me. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I want to stay part of COGS if this is the type of thing that I'll have to know how to do um, because I almost failed that class. But then when I started taking more COGS-specific courses, like 200, 300, I realized that there was just so many different aspects to COGS and that you didn't have to be specifically good at Dr. Racket to, you know, to be a good member of that community, I guess. Um yeah, definitely. Where COGS um, really has an advantage of not putting people in cookie cutters mm-hmm. and letting them expand in their own ways. Definitely, yeah. So I think that um, especially when you get to the more like upper-level classes, um, so like COGS 300, 303, um, and you start meeting the people in those classes, and they basically force you to be in group projects all the time. Um, and just that proximity makes it so that you become friends with those people. And I think that that's something really unique to the COGS program, that it's the the people around you that really make it. Yeah, that's, that's so heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if not, don't, don't worry too much. Like, just try and say hi to the people around you in classes. And I'm sure that they're just as awkward and worried about appearing weird as you are. So don't worry, you're not the only one. Yeah, I've definitely found that people in COGS just because of the nature of its small program, are more open to hanging out. Yeah. And that goes for props, too. Like, if you just talk to them, they'll treat you like a fellow peer, almost, which I found isn't really the case for most other profs and other programs. Definitely. Yeah. Having a humble prof is the best experience Mm -hmm. in university, by far. Yeah. And just being taken seriously for what you're saying and... Uh, treating your input as valuable, you know? And, like, this is, like, after um, one of the events that we have with CSS is Meet the Profs, where you literally just go to Kerner's Pub, and this is a 19-plus event, sorry. Not because of us, but because of the pub. Um, And you just get to talk to those profs while eating some nachos, drinking some beer, or not. Um, And, yeah, you get to see that they're real people. 
and not just these people in suits. Although I've never seen a Cogs prop in a suit, I think. So that's another reason why Cogs is better than any other business program <laughs> slash any suit program. Yes, definitely. So the community is definitely a standout feature for you. Mm-hmm. What area of interest, um, like tangible area of interest, would you say uh, is like stood out to you? Mm-hmm. Well, I was in the uh, I'm in the brain and cognition stream, so psych and neuroscience have always been the areas of interest that I'm most interested in. And I think that there's, but but through Cogs, I've learned of really valuable ways of interaction between the four streams. Um, and so, for example, I'm really interested in human-computer interaction stuff and like user experience right. design. <laughs> user experience design and. Um, just designing for human cognition and human um, irrationality, I guess. Could you explain what irrationality is? Irrationality. Um, So I guess there's been um, an interesting shift in how we view human cognition and intelligence in general. For example, uh, like 50 years ago or so, all of the uh, experiments and research focused on proving how humans were super rational beings, especially in neuroeconomics. But recently, that the, the idea that humans are super rational in decision-making has really gone like out of the window. What's the word? Out of the window. Out of the window, yeah. Out um, the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so now there's a lot more research being done on just how irrational our decision-making really is. And um, unfortunately, that's a really way for people and big organizations to um, exploit people, which is what we see big tech companies doing with um, all the data that they get on people and their interactions with their apps. and Where our attention is commodified for the purpose of collecting data. Definitely, yeah. I think that um, right now we're in the middle of this uh, era, I guess, the, the data era where... Um, the most valuable resource that you can have as a company is people's data and people's attention. And those two really come hand in hand a lot of the time. So I guess I'd, something that I'm really interested in, in is helping people not be exploited by stuff like that. Um, and the best way to do that is to learn about your own weaknesses and your own irrationality and just how um, easy it is for these companies to take advantage of you. Yeah, that's definitely something COGS uh, emphasizes, mm-hmm. is learning about the biases and fallacies of human perception. Yeah, like in uh, COGS 303, I believe, uh, we we focus a lot on stuff like that. Um, it's usually taught by Dr. Ron Rensink, and he's sort of the uh, master of just human perceptual fallacies, I guess. Um, He's the one who came up with change blindness, for anyone who's familiar with that. But when I took it, hmm? Oh, yeah. He's also the supervisor of the Visual Cognition Lab at UBC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is uh, a lab really populated with COG students. <laughs> Overpopulated, maybe. Yeah, but when I took it, I took it with uh, Dr. Darko Odick, and he was great, too. He's I've heard that he's a really good psych prof in general, so if you have to take Psych 101 or 102 with someone, take it with Darko. He's a really cool dude. Yeah, when I took it, I took it with uh, Teo Rosenfeld mm. as a seasonal prof and yeah. now is just obsessed with mycology and mushrooms. 
love Teo. And yeah. Teo's amazing. I TA'd for Teo for um, 300, and he's just the, the best person ever, honestly. We, we miss you, Teo. Teo's not here anymore. Teo, come back to UBC. <laughs> yeah. Leave your mushroom farm. <laughs> Leave your uh, idyllic like land in the uh, idyllic farmland and come back to this world of academia and stress <laughs> for us do come it. back to being exploited <laughs> yeah. so you mentioned being exploited and uh, the idea of preventing exploitation mm-hmm. how can you see this actually being a service to provide Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think that there's many different ways that you can approach something like this. Uh, I think while it's just a, a very like abstract concept, um, just raising people's awareness of it happening is the first and really important step because I think that most of us um, have a hard time getting to that point and some people just never do. I guess just helping people to question the things that they're constantly that they just constantly take for granted. Their habits or the services that they use, mm-hmm. like Facebook. Yes. And the recent Cambridge Analytical scandal yep. that has recently emerged. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely being aware that at every point of the way, the people, the, the services that you're using are not ultimately there for you they are there for the people who have stakes in them who are the people who are investing in them where the user is the product mm-hmm. definitely yeah there's a there, there's that really good quote that's like if something is free it's not you're just the product because like obviously those companies have to make money somehow and like we mentioned earlier in this um, attention economy, your your attention is definitely what the product is, right? So then one way to approach it is through um, awareness of it, and then another would be to provide an alternative. Um, and that's really, really hard to do, especially when we're all so entrenched in this system. And I don't really believe that it's possible to be outside of it, but what you can do is try and build these um, little havens, I guess, for yourself and for the people around you so that one day um, they become more widespread and more of the norm as opposed to uh, the exception. Mm. To make this more concrete, something that I've been recently involved in is this cooperative um, called the IMOL Arts and Technology Cooperative. Uh, which I believe has been mentioned on this podcast before. Yeah, just to kind of reiterate, a cooperative is a jointly owned and democratically controlled enterprise. Um, IMOL specifically is a multi-stakeholder cooperative where it consists of users, laborers, investors, where we are interested in neurotechnology, AI, art in general, and just communicating political discourse to the masses. Mm-hmm. So something that we really try to um, make as widespread as possible, I guess, is this idea that the current business model where, like, the CEO gets, like, what, like 90% of the profits and all the workers get is exploited um, (laughs) does not have to be the norm at all. Um, And that there are, like, very successful cooperatives that uh, make this happen uh, for example, in Canada, you have MEC, the Mountain Equipment Co-op, um, that works in this way, where uh, the funds are more evenly distributed amongst all workers um, and members. 
Uh, you also have Van City Bank. Yep, a credit union that is also a cooperative. Mm -hmm. So this idea is very, this idea, this idea isn't just an idea. It is a very concrete thing that you can make happen and that um, we're seeing happen more and more in Vancouver. Actually, BC um, makes it pretty easy for uh, co-ops to develop and it gives out a lot of tax exemptions and uh, especially because of the NDP, they, they're very into the idea. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, I guess. Yeah, thankfully from the recent NDP election, uh, BC specifically has become a haven for new cooperatives and new enterprises, mm -hmm. almost competing with the likes of Silicon Valley in terms of um, revenue generation mm. and yeah. providing jobs for people that are sustainable and secure. Mm -hmm. And unlike Silicon Valley, where startups reign supreme, uh, this is a way more sustainable way of securing funds, funding for the future, where you don't just like burn out the initial cash flow in the hopes of making a return sometime in the future, but you're just continuously um, getting funding and bit by bit just um, yeah, providing the resources for people to keep working and to keep doing what they do without being exploited, hopefully. Yeah, one of our goals is just to make enough money so we can all keep on hanging out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and yeah, it's it's mostly actually uh, even IMOL is what, like 80% COG students right now? Yeah, we consist of COG students, CompSci people, uh, we have media studies students, we have alumni working in industry as well, mm -hmm. uh, just trying to get this cooperative movement going. And at the heart of it all, our spiritual leader, Dr. Ray Su, mm -hmm. holds yeah. a special place in all our hearts. Yes, they are um, honestly the driving force between, behind all of this. And it's just provided a continuum of that sense of community that I was talking about earlier, where I'm still hanging out with these COG people, but also want to be COGS people <laughs> who people who I believe would be in COGS if they weren't doing other things <laughs> if they weren't smart enough to choose comp science statistics as a <laughs> double major yeah or uh you know poetry which mm. is what Ray does yeah do you want to talk about what type of stuff you're doing in IMOL um yeah so which is inherently just COGSy <laughs> Um, right now, we, so right now, um, I'm always very focused on the governance aspect of it, so we're still trying to figure that out and hopefully become incorporated sometime in the near future, but uh, otherwise, the kind of stuff that we want to make happen is stuff like you mentioned, like, you know, VR, virtual reality, like augmented reality stuff. Um, we would like to host workshops for people to be able to learn these skills. Um, we want to make a augmented real AR streetwear. Um, I think that's one of the ideas where you would uh, put up your like this AR code on a shirt or something and then, I don't know, transform it into like a dragon suit or something, whatever you want. Imagine having your bank balance on your t-shirt, but it being <laughs> AR form, so it hovering above you. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's how we take down the big boss. It's the ultimate form of prestige, because yeah. it's just so blatant. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, that also links to our uh, incessant need for performance art using technology. Um, so, 
it's just a bit of everything. And because of our very um, bottom-up structuring of it, where um, everyone can give ideas and start projects on their own, um, it really allows for people to just work on whatever they're most excited about. And if it's a potential source of revenue, then great. And if not, you know, just play around with it and maybe something will, something fun will happen. Yeah. Just kind of experiment around. Um, it's something the university definitely doesn't offer enough, I feel mm. like, where you are structured around grades and how well this thing is um, in terms of a rubric. Definitely, yeah. Um, and that's definitely a, a downside, but it's also an integral part of being in an institution such as a university. And a lot of people who go to university go because they want that structure. Um, and that's totally fair um, because it does help you give some sense of value in your life, I suppose, where um, the grades that you get dictate how well you feel about yourself. But yeah, for something like I'm all we want to get um, as far away from that concept as possible. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like similar uh, ideas of having an extrinsic motivator of grades mm -hmm. and money, both of those being extrinsic and the intrinsic motivator being, um, oh, this is cool. This mm -hmm. is, I love my friends and I want to work on this. And yeah. I'm performing or something. Yeah. yeah. And there, yeah, there's a lot of research out there that, um, shows how if you try and get people to work on a creative project and you give them an extrinsic motivator such as money, the creativity of the solutions that people find goes significantly down. Uh, whereas if you just give them intrinsic motivation such as, oh, you'll learn from this or, oh, you're going to have fun doing this, then uh, the creativity of their solutions is a lot higher. So I think that's definitely something that we need to be more aware of. Yeah, this, yeah, in the university system, especially when you're trying to generate intellectual property and grants, part of a cooperative and what makes it so significant in my mind is that you retain ownership within the company as you mm -hmm. generate more labor for them. So instead of being paid a wage, you would be paid a wage and you would have a stake in the company where mm -hmm. you would have voting power and an equal say. Yeah, and you definitely that retention of intellectual property is what makes a cooperative system uh, such a uh, so attractive for so many people. For example, um, a lot of the people who are in IML right now are people who worked in labs and who currently also still work in labs at UBC and elsewhere. Um, and while it's it's really fun and it's good to get that experience, um, most of the time you don't get any money from it which is pure and simple exploitation. And then you also don't get to retain any of the IP from the work that you're doing, as well as any recognition for it. Um, if you're super lucky, you might be like on the last page of a paper with like special thanks to Adam West. But um, most of the time that really doesn't happen. And so that's a more, um, I guess, hidden form of exploitation. Um, yeah, where the university is primarily a for-profit institution, um, then secondarily an educational institution. Mm -hmm. Through that lens, it could not be that way, but that is how I jadedly feel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the as you go through university and you learn more about it and you learn more about the internal structure of it, and especially if you go on to grad school, 
the more you feel that way. So yeah. that's why I'm not going to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to find that happy middle of where you contribute to a research project and the actual compensation you get for it is a very fine line between, you know, exploitation and a fair compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I think needs to be experimented around more instead of just accepted de facto, hey, you're in this program or you're researching this and you'll get a letter of recommendation and that's your compensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something else that I did while at UBC that, um, like in in my last term actually, was um, the Student Directed Seminars program. Um, And what that is, is basically you create an entire curriculum for a class and the the syllabus and everything. Um, You have to find a prof to be your faculty supervisor. In my case, I so I uh, held a STS with Colleen Kennedy, and our faculty supervisor was Dr. Chris Moll, who is also the COGS uh, program director. Um, and then you find students who are who want to take your class, and it counts as a three credit course. And the the cool thing is that you know you get to literally create your own class. And what we did was we. Uh, did a very cogsy thing where um, we looked at sci-fi literature and tried to um, look at the philosophical and concrete implications of that in current society, how that looks like, and the historical context behind it. And while it was like really fun to have that and to have those discussions every week, it really felt like we were not being compensated fairly because we weren't being compensated at all. And in fact, we had to pay to take the class. Um, that you designed yourself and yeah. structured yourself. Mm-hmm. So that really goes back to your um, what you just said about UBC being a profit-driven uh, organization, um, enterprise where you literally have these undergrads creating a course all by themselves and ha- finding like at least 10 other people to take that course, and you're all paying as you would for any other course and there just there's no resources from UBC being expended at all. So, you, yeah, <laughs> it's not even uh, a question of whether we're being exploited or not at that point. Yeah. Uh, I guess a more positive note for a student-directed seminar is that you are filling this gap of mm-hmm. um, knowledge yourself, and that I think is very admirable, and I think a lot of students actually aren't even aware that it's even possible. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. It's 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 a fun experience. Like I wouldn't say that I regret doing it or anything, but um, that if you are someone who's interested in doing it, just being aware of that. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of leads me to my next question of like, if there were anything you could change in the program, which you already have, uh, is there anything else you'd like to include? Mm. Yeah. Um, I I yeah I love Cogs and I love most of the courses that were offered. Um, but I do think that there is a distinct lack of concrete, tangible skills and that it could easily be fixed by having something like a visual analytics course or human-computer interaction and not just as modules or as courses that you can take outside of UBC, but um, ones that like might even be like required courses. And I think that there, like I'm pretty sure there is interest for these, but, um, and, and I know this because there used to be this free course that was offered by um, Viva, the Vancouver Institute for Visual Analytics, 
and it was offered at UBC, um, not as an official course, but just as a free one-term uh, project, where they, where they taught you skills such as Tableau and Gethy and um, these valuable things for people who are interested in data viz, but unfortunately it's not being offered anymore, and it used to be free, only like $25 for registration or something, and it's not being offered because SFU bought Viva or bought the rights for Viva courses. Not to throw shade at SFU, because they have their own oh, no. COGS program, and it seems very exciting, although I haven't checked it out. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, no, SFU, I think, is did a great job by, by acquiring the rights to something like Viva, and I think um, <laughs> I would throw shade at UBC for not doing something like that, um, or for letting it become like this uh, exclusive thing to SFU. I think that if COGS could get on some, to something like that, it would be great. And, and right, so like when I did take that course uh, last year, it was maybe like 95% COGS students, and the rest were just like older people who were working on specific projects for their jobs and stuff like that. Yeah, that's definitely something I feel a lot of COGS people kind of just ruminate about, the void after graduation and Mm -hmm. what you're going to do. And if there were tangible skills that were given to us or taught um, in any way instead of by our own uh, initiative that we... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that we're, we teach ourselves. And I mean, COGS does let you uh, take a lot of modules, so it does free up your schedule to take whatever you want, but um, unfortunately a lot of the courses that you'd want to take have so many prereqs that you just don't have the time or the resources to do that. Yeah, and, and unfortunately for people in COGS, um, they're not even saved seats in ComSci classes, so people end up not being able to take any of the required courses until their last year, which is pretty shitty. <laughs> Even the CompSci building, the Institute uh, for Computing Information and Cognitive Systems, <laughs> we are in that name, yet we have no place in the building. Nope. Yeah. We don't even have access to it after hours like CompSci students do. Yeah. Maybe that's just a huge oversight, or we are actually being uh, left out. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know why our name is on that. I Why is our name on the building <laughs> if we don't have a place in it? Give us answers. <laughs> yeah. But we do have our lab, which is, which is in quaint. my mind a lot better than any other building ever. I think you might have a little bit of bias. I am not biased at all. This is completely objective truth. So you can find the Cognitive System Society and the COGS Facebook page pretty easily. Just mm-hmm. COGS UBC. Yep. Um, so it's Cognitive Systems UBC. There's a Facebook group and a Facebook page. We post all of our events in both of them. We also have a website, cogsubc.ca, and our email is cogsubc at gmail.com. So pretty pretty easy to get in touch with us. Also, I say us, but really I only have like one more week left as president, and then it's the next team, who is being, um, which is being headed by Jillian Kong, who will be an amazing president. So I'm, I'm really happy to see that. The next uh, VP Arts External is Omran Safi, my partner in crime in this COGS cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very proud of him. <laughs> so if there is any advice you'd like to give to yourself in first year or people interested in COGS, what would it be? So I think we've covered a lot of what, the, what I'd say to them, but I guess what I'd like to end on is that... Um, if the idea of not having like a set path makes you feel even a little bit excited, then do it. Join Cogs. Um, but if it 
like absolutely terrifies you and you feel the need to have more structure in your life, then there's plenty of other programs out there for you and probably ones that you enjoy doing more. You know, if you if you do decide to join, make sure to just be part of the community and talk to people and talk to profs. Don't be afraid to reach out because that is the single most viable way of making sure that this is where you belong. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Talk to people. Join COGS. <laughs> Come to any of the, and all of the events. And there are other clubs at UBC that are very COGS populated, like the UX Hub. Turing um, Club. Mm-hmm. Um, AGDA. Mm-hmm. The AMS Game Development Association. Mm-hmm. Not to mention there are a myriad amount of labs that are super COGS focused. Yeah, like the VCL. Yeah, Visual Cognition Lab. There's Brain Attention and Reality. The lab. Emerging Media Lab. Um, There's actually so many that it would take yeah. a few minutes to list off. But um, yeah, you can find a bunch of them on our website, actually, the cogsubc.ca. Yeah, you can find uh, the COGS Facebook page, facebook.com slash COGSUBC. There's yeah. a COGSCast Facebook group that you can find if you search for COGSCast. Yeah, you can find the COGSCast on Facebook by just searching it for the group. You can find us on SoundCloud and MixCloud. It's just called Cogscast. Right? Cogscast. C-O-G-S-C-A-S-T. It's a pun. Because <laughs> Cogs and podcasts. Yeah, they get it. It's it's a pun. It's it's really funny. All right. This has been Adam West. And Vesta Sahachu. And this has been your Cogscast. Cogscast.